helping adults and teachers think about this work in relationship to what they already care about and seeing how it intersects. So if I'm looking at, you know, standards alignment or rigor or improving attendance or, you know, whatever it is that you're choosing to prioritize for your own continuous improvement, but this is a core foundational element, right? Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, super excited about the conversations that we get the chance to have with really innovative folks in the world of transformative education. And today we're actually going to talk about a topic that I think is one that is really um, front of mind for lots of folks, and that's about student voice. But more importantly, what we're going to talk about is what happens when districts make the choice to make student voice a priority. And we're going to be talking with um, Heather Van Bintheisen, um, who is the Executive Director of Student Voice and Engagement in Chicago Public Schools. And I'm not sure, but we're going to get into the weeds on this, but this Chicago may be the first district um, that I am aware of that has made this such a priority that they've created a position around it. So that's the reason I'm super excited to talk with Heather. Chicago Public Schools um, Student Voice and Engagement is really focused on creating learning experiences that are responsive and engaging for students and ensuring students are centered in the decisions made in their classrooms, schools, and the district. And so Heather, first and foremost, welcome to the program. And wow, how cool is this? <laughs> Thank you so much, Annalise. It's really um, very cool to be here. And yeah, uh, very cool, very exciting. I feel very privileged and lucky to be a part of a district that's committed to this so, so wholeheartedly. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely based on my sort of scan of the landscape, if you will, um, in the U.S. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that there are similar positions in other parts of the world, and we're just finally getting on board with this. Um, but let's start with that. So, so, so give us the sort of 100,000-foot view in terms of, so why, why did the district choose to do this? And honestly, what were the mechanisms that it took to make this happen? Because, you know, districts create new positions all the time, but oftentimes they're politically motivated or they're local pressures. They're not often thoughtful with intention around sustainability and capacity. And yet that's not the case in the way that Chicago has structured this. So help us understand the ecosystem under which this came to be, Heather. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to do that as succinctly as I can, because it is a 17-year story. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it was an evolution of work that took to get here um, that precedes my time in central office. I have been in the district for 17 years, um, but it really started very early on with um, a program that was focused on some service learning 
and building something that we call student voice committees, which are school-based groups, groups of young people that are school-based that work in partnership with principals to solve school-based issues. And so that work used to be housed in a department that I once was the director of called the Department of Student Voice and Engagement. And so that department obviously oversaw all of K-12 social science, but also oversaw a strategy that we called civic life, a civic life strategy, which was uh, really pursued this question of how do we help prepare young people to be powerful in their communities and worlds to make an impact. And so that strategy was, yeah, like, you know, (laughs) we did service learning, we had a civics course for social science, and like I said, the student voice committees. Um, And so that work uh, really um, grew into and expanded to where we are today, which is now a new department called the Department of Student Voice and Engagement. And the, I think the shift um, to separating and creating this whole new department is a few different reasons. So first, I think we started seeing the impact of not just on young people, but also the adults in a building of what happens when you build inclusive partnerships with with youth, right? And that is at the core of any equity commitment, right? That in order to achieve equity, we want to make sure that the decisions that we make are um, responsive to those that are most impacted and especially keeping in mind those that are most vulnerable, right? And so in the school setting, students are our largest stakeholder group. Um, but unfortunately, the way in which we have always and used to do school young people were not often considered to be, um, have a valid input, right? Or didn't have a lot of space at the table for decision-making. And so I think the other thing that happened is we launched a new instructional core vision. uh, And that instructional vision centered what we call the inner core, which is three things, identity, community, and relationships. So all aspects of core curriculum and instruction should begin and end with those three things in mind. And I think that those are, in large part, three very large shifts, because our CEO would talk about how we need to stop only focusing on outcome measures, but start shifting to thinking about practice measures. And so if we're thinking about the everyday practice, right, we have to center that on the experience of our young people. And, and what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, what they need to inform and shape and drive our decisions. And so, you know, all of that um, is really what helped to inform and shape the beginning of this new department, which I'm privileged to lead. And we do have a unique makeup. So um, we have a, the department has two sides. And uh, I, before I talk about that, I also want to make sure I honor other folks that have really helped to get here, like the McCormick Foundation, for example, was a really had a huge role in funding early stages of our civic learning strategy and student voice strategy. And so um, I think for district leaders that are out there listening or principals or teachers doing the work that it takes, I think, really finding if you're trying to expand this in your district, finding, you know, building bridges, building a coalition, building um, partners. Um, Another key partner for us has been the Civic Engagement Research Group based out of UC California Riverside, Joe Khan and Erica Hodgins. They've been really powerful partners. Um, And last year, uh, they released a study um, that showed that an increase in risk when students feel 
that adults are responsive to student voice and student perspective, then there is, uh, we see a change and an increase in grades and attendance. And I think right. we always have known this, right? Yeah. When we hear yeah. about these things, but that, that there's research now showing that is really exciting for us. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we all collectively love research, sort of validating the things that we intuitively uh, know or have been seeing um, for years. So I appreciate that um, as well very much. You know, one of the things that's really interesting about this uh, for me is that, and, and I've had um, the privilege to have uh, worked in any number of districts um, from super tiny frontier districts to really, really large urbans. And one of the things that's really intriguing to me, um, when you really sit down and take a look at districts, and I'm using very broad um, terms here. Um, So when you look at districts, that are struggling. And struggles can, as we all know, they come from a variety of, of different sort of inputs. And, you know, they can be situational, they can be economic, they can be political, they can just be changing trends um, that are happening over the natural evolution of, of districts, um, changes in leadership, all of those different things. But one of the things that's really interesting to me is that, you know, typically what you see as districts start thinking about making pretty radical transformations for um, a whole host of participants, so for their learners, for their educators, for everybody in between in the entire sort of learning community or ecosystem, if you will. Typically what happens is we we pull into the things that we know and we really reinforce the rigidities, if you will, of our practices or habits that we're comfortable and familiar. Doesn't mean they were the right ones, but that tends to be the direction that we go. And yet what I hear you talking about in terms of the evolution of what really sort of brought on this particular office and this body of work and importance to the district is very different than that because it's based on sort of letting go of some of those elements. And that's a really, really curious thing. Most districts really struggle with that. And Chicago has had its struggles. Um, You know, lots of folks will be very familiar. It's a big district. Um, It's got lots going on um, in it. And so how or why, maybe, is a better question. Do you think the district chose to spend any amount of time and resources essentially experimenting in a space that had to be at least for a while kind of a free for all. Mm-hmm. It's a great, it's a great question, and it does bring me back to our former CEO, Dr. Janice Jackson. So I think a few things. So first, I think a laser focus on equity is a really key purpose of that. That you know, this belief and knowledge that if we really want to improve learning outcomes for young people, that we have to be really tuned into their needs, their ideas, their values, their experience, their lived experiences. And so I think that that in large part is a big shift in many ways, not just in how decisions are made in schools, but what kind of data we look at and what all the systems and structures that are wrapped around that, right? And so very early on, Dr. Jackson was a big advocate for student voice committees, for student voice. She had a student advisory council, which still maintains today. And so I think, you know, I want to underscore that leadership 
is is critical, right? Leadership really matters in driving change, especially in something that, as you're naming, that feels maybe a bit more ambiguous, ambi- ambiguous or nebulous than, you know, looking at like hard and fast benchmark assessments in math, right? That this feels very different for folks. Um, so first, I think leadership really matters. And to expand on that, our current C- um, CEO, Pedro Martinez, and our, our chief education officer, Chief Chakumbava, um, are incredibly committed to maintaining um, this work of understanding and reimagining, right, what can and should be different now, especially post-pandemic. So there's some things that they're recommitting to from our previous leadership, um, but also making space to reimagine. So as I mentioned, the launch of our new instructional core vision, which we're all really proud of, I mentioned the inner core of identity community relationships, but we also, if you have the, if I had the visual to show you, on the outside of this core, it's wrapped around in what we call continuous learning. And so... Um, I think in order for this to be to have taken shape, everyone had to be able to to name like we don't we don't know what we don't know, right? And that we have to be in a culture of continuous learning so that we're trying new things, we're learning, we're being responsive, right? And then we're implementing. And so to that end, some of the things that we've done is, um, shifted to a distributed leadership model. So all schools right now are being trained and supported um, by a new department called the Department of Distributed Leadership and helping build these teaming structures, like instructional leadership teams and helping teacher teams do learning cycles. So that's really key, I think, um, in part of this vision. And in at the end of the day, all of that comes down to being able to be responsive to student voice. Because if we are as adults making decisions about what students need when it comes to curriculum or instruction, and we don't leave room to be responsive to how students are experiencing it, we're never really going to be able to fully meet their needs. You know, um, I think we we bring young people together as a district uh, office. We bring young people together with district leaders all the time, different offices or departments. And we just did one last week. And I'll never forget the student. Um, but my closing question to the student panel was, you know, what's a call? Co- like the, the folks in the audience, we had about 200 people in the audience and they were leaders from all the content areas, uh, district leaders from a wide a variety of um, avenues. And I asked them what their call to action would be. For all, for all of them. And um, our one student, Vincent, said, <laughs> it's really, it's on you. Like you've heard us give feedback. You've heard us name like what we are seeing that we need or what young people need. Are you going to be responsive? Are you going to change and, and act? And I think it sounds very simple, but for adults, it's not easy. Adults, yeah, it's very really, complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And adultism mm-hmm. is real, right? Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of assumptions about what young people know and care about. And as someone who loves and cares for Chicago and loves and is proud of CPS, there's also a lot of assumptions and biases about what Chicago is and what CPS right. is, right? Right, right, right. And I think that 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 is important as educators, we have to start doing that mirror work, right? And think about ourselves and what informs our decisions 
um, and what biases inform our decisions. Yeah. And so in order, and like student voice and student perspective is the perfect entry point, I think, for anyone, anywhere around the country in order to start doing that. Yeah, I absolutely would agree with that. And I think that, um, I think it's very interesting. And I actually, I love Vincent's call to action that, and I think that everybody should really internalize that, right? Because at the end of the day, first and foremost, two important things happened. I mean, more than that, I have no doubt, but, but two that I, I, I really resonated with me as you were sharing, um, you know, that experience. The first one is the fact that you asked it all. You, you held a convening, you had a panel, you brought these students forward, you asked them to share, you created a safe space. And I'm hoping um, that, that that share was raw, right? Because it really needs to be um, to be able to move the, the needle. So first and foremost, I appreciate that you, you asked the question. And second, I love the fact that Vincent said, we've now provided you with the feedback you asked for. So what are you actually going to do with it? Um, I love, I love that actually, because that charge coming from that voice should carry incredible weight, which gets me, um, to, to my next question really is, you know, it's interesting because there's lots of folks that chatter about this idea of student agency and student voice. And yes, we're all for it. And yet to your point, adulting gets in the way. We are really mired in our systems, and and the the K twelve educational system is um, it's a thing, <laughs> right? It's a thing, and and systems as we know can be incredibly functional, but they can also be dysfunctional, and they can come and go in that space as well. The same system, and yet we have to be willing to sort of step back from all of it and and ask ourselves, which I think it sounds to me like that's exactly what's happening. Um, in many respects within the Chicago public school system is this reflection around what are we educating kids for? It's not to take a test. It's not to go to college exclusively, right? It's not to, you know, the the list is actually probably pretty long. And when you distill sort of that list down, it gives you the freedom to say, what do kids need? What do kids want? And what should we be producing for the world? So you have recently been utilizing data to help the district with this through something called the Cultivate Survey. I I believe I have this correct. So I'm super interested because you mentioned data several times already in our conversation. So help us understand the kind of data you're trying to get at and then how you're utilizing that data as a district then to make these shifts. That's a great great question. Love that. Um, In order to answer that, I first want to maybe speak to what you elevated before this question of like, what are we educating for? And so I just want to name, I think something that's really important within that question that drives me is that, uh, and has driven me throughout my career is this idea of educating 
for young people to be powerful in the world in which they live, right? Be powerful to enact change, be powerful to advocate, be powerful to know, right? And so for me, a lot of that comes down to democratic values, right? And educating for democracy that, you know, we are as as public school institutions beholden to preparing our citizenry, right? Right, right. Powerful. And so in order to do all of that, there's some key things that have to happen. Like, for example, making space for a public forum, right? Making space to hear from our constituents, which in this case are students. And so I think um, building these systems and structures that we've been talking about are first and foremost, I think, very important to name that these are not really like new or revolutionary, that these are core principles of democratic life, of civic life um, that has really gone away, right? We're preparing young people to they're not magically whisked away into the world of adulthood when they turn 18, right? Yeah, that's and, a myth. Yeah. And also I think a lot of adults in schools themselves are not necessarily civically active or even really hold some value to democracy right now. There's a lot of risks there. And so I think like, you know, recommitting to this um, in the spirit of this is really important. And so when we talk about data in that vein, I use a phrase like we call democratizing data, because I think that it's not just about the data we collect, but how we use it and how we use it to bolster up this idea of continuous learning. There's a lot of things that have to change within that. So first I want to, I'll talk about, I think what we're using and how we're approaching it. And then maybe we'll have time to get into some of the systems and structures that hold that up for the adult change piece. Right? So first um, we are using Cultivate at scale as a district, and Cultivate is a survey um, and framework developed by University of Chicago, led by Dr. Camille Farrington, very powerful that measures um, what they call these nine learning conditions. And these learning conditions are what um, they say the research says creates an environment that really drives students wanting to learn. So I, I think we should like hold on that idea for a second, right? Because if, when, no matter what, when we're talking about student voice and, and agency, at the end of the day, students are choosing whether or not to engage, you know, this, this, this infamous student engagement that everyone is always talking about. So what are the conditions needed that help students want to learn? And so, so that's the premise of this. Um, so Cultivate is a beginning year and end of year survey. We just, this is our first year, uh, doing it and we're the largest district to adopt it from university of Chicago to date. Um, Minneapolis is also doing it as well. And we've been talking to them. Um, I think that, uh, we've learned a lot from this experience and excited about making some changes in next year. Uh, but ultimately we're using as a district measure for practice data because schools will, will also get what are called prioritized conditions. So this, the tool will recommend here's three conditions that we think you should prioritize based on your data. We have um, district priority conditions that we're building wraparound professional development and resources for next year. Those conditions for us are going to be student voice, classroom community, and feedback for growth. And so, uh, we also now, so that because it's beginning of year and end of year and schools get their data um, as a school-wide or grade level view, but teachers don't get their individual data, 
Another companion tool that we're promoting is offered by an organization called PERTS. You can, it's free. You can find it online. It's called Elevate. And so Elevate and Cultivate measure the same conditions, use very similar questions, but give the teacher individual data on their students. It's also able to be disaggregated by race and gender, which we find a lot of value in. I mentioned learning cycles earlier. So say I'm at a school and we're prioritizing student voice. As as an English teacher, as a ninth grade English teacher, I will be able to use Elevate to survey my students intermittently on student voice, get their feedback, but also use that data with them. So here's like the big thing when I was talking about democratizing data, right? That the data is important in helping to drive continuous improvement. But who's part of that continuous improvement is the question we're trying to raise around student voice and engagement, that how do we create spaces where young people are co-constructing, reflecting, ideating, and giving feedback together with adults? So they can use that data to have conversations around what, what's working and what isn't. A teacher then can be responsive. We talk about responsiveness to student voice is key. Can say, here's what I've learned. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's where you're pushing me. And here's what I'm going to do next. Like those four basic things would go so far in building trust and relationships with young people, but also could be transformative in the decisions and actions that teachers make every day moving forward, right? They make a billion different decisions, maybe not that many, but a lot of decisions, small and big, every hour of every day. And so uh, I think that that's the most exciting thing about this data and really proud, um, like I said, our our chief um, uh, Bogdana Chakumova keeps talking about how critical the student experience is and how much we really have to kind of wrap both arms around this idea of practice data. And so what we're also doing is... um, rolling up data uh, for our learning learning walks, right, or rigor walks, districts call them different things. And so as our school leaders and ILTs and district leaders are going on walks in schools and collecting data, rolling that up to look at that district-wide, network-wide, school-wide to f- find trends, to see what's working and what isn't, is also going to be a key data source for this. And we are going to be including um some look for is there that will tie it back to cultivate as well. So more questions and answers right now because we're it's new, but I think it's really like the tool is really helping us to start talking about what we would say are the right things, but also the really hard things. And it also is elevating a lot of tensions for adults. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of tensions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing. You know, before we move on, I want to just um, sort of highlight that the idea of democratizing data, I so appreciate that. Um, you know, we are seeing very similar things, right? And as soon as you take data, and it is traditional in schools, right? You know, a lot of data is gathered and who uses it? Just the adults. When honestly, it could be incredibly meaningful if the students could participate 
um, in the use of data, not just in the providing of data, right? And so those are very, very different things. And we certainly see it here um, at the Past Innovation Lab this summer. Uh, we've been um, running with our summer programs. We have a partner called Start Soul, and we've been utilizing a piece of the Start Soul platform that's based on Strength in You, which was designed for adults that we've been um, modifying for use with kids. And it's the same sort of thing. And so as, as the kids come in each day, we, we want to know, how do you feel as you walk in the door? Give us a sense, give us a pulse of some element of you, right? And that, that data is, is put up on a massive screen. And so all the kids collectively can see, and as the kids click in on it, right, it's building this data set of these emojis based on how the kids are feeling. And it has proven to be so powerful that what's happened is the kids have now taken control over that data set in its entirety. And I love that because they want to know how do we feel when we come in and how do we feel when we leave at the end of the day? Has the experience that we've just all collectively had made a difference for you as an, as an individual and how does that then transpose itself to us as a collective group? Now, it's fascinating, right? And it's all student-led. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Very powerful, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So as we sort of think about wrapping up the conversation, we've had talked about lots of really amazing things that are going on within the district and with the work. But I want to know what still keeps you up at night? What are you afraid of in this space, right? Because I think we have to be honest about how hard this work is that the district is engaged in. It's incredibly difficult. And, you know, as the person standing at the helm of at least some elements of all of this, Heather, what, what are the pain points? Mm. Well, it's a great question. A few things come to mind, which I think, you know, uh, I'll name that. I think we could call them pain points. There are things that I, there are really important problems, challenges we need to solve, right? And I, I'm very excited by them and seeing so much opportunity that intersects across so many spaces in our schools, right? Which is part of what I think makes this work challenging is that I think first I'll name, how do we make sure it's not othered? And what I mean by that is, how do we make sure that this just doesn't become an extra thing, right? That principals or teachers or central office staff aren't feeling like this is something I'm doing and all these other things. So that's challenge one, I think, is that helping adults and teachers think about this work in relationship to what they already care about and seeing how it intersects. So if I'm looking at you know, standards alignment or rigor or improving attendance or, you know, whatever it is that you're choosing to prioritize for your own continuous improvement, that this is a core foundational element, right? I think number one, but number two, it applies in different aspects of a school ecosystem. So it applies to the self, right? There's like self values and beliefs. There's 
if I'm a teacher, my classroom community, right? Like how I work and engage with my young people in my class. As a school leader, when you're thinking about distributed leadership or continuous improvement, there's also teaming structures. So that's another, I think, challenge is that this does entail like new learning experiences for adults. And so I think I think a lot about and talk, I think most about what kind of experiences do adults need to help them to do this well with students, to open up these spaces and to participate in continuous learning and change in this way. So first I'll name, like we talked about democratizing data. I think some of the, if we think about some of the skills that adults need to be able to develop, developing in order to do this well. So first, like I call it willingness and ability to engage in difficult or controversial topics, right? Like, you have to have capacity and competencies to engage in discourse, dialogue with young people about things that can be better. Right. <laughs> and if you right. can't do that with other adults, it's going to be even harder to do it with students. And so I think in a school environment, if I was a principal, I would be making space to do that with my parents, with my teachers all of the time, because that's a critical thing, Right. Um, I think schools are not traditionally, at least in my experience, inherently safe places to be vulnerable. So how do we create a culture in a school where we hear teachers often saying, I don't know, or I, I could be better at this, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we want students to be able to say that, right? right. <laughs> so, but if the adults can't, the kids yeah. are never going to go there, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, we have what we call the powerful practices, and those have evolved over the last 10 years. And we call them powerful because they're practices that should be happening in a classroom mm-hmm. as, as well as in adult spaces. Right. Because right. The, the same challenges we're facing, I think, adults face with students as well. So we talked about Cultivate earlier. Uh, we've been, um, Pertz has another tool called Catalyze, mm-hmm. which is a tool that principals could use with teachers to get their feedback on their learning environment too, because it's a, you know, it's a wraparound thing. Right. Um, and I think the last thing, which I think is, is something for content teachers is especially in high school, we love our discipline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to think and we about think it's more important than yeah, the discipline in the, in the box right next door to us. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to be able to think about that in partnership with student mm-hmm. experience of the learning environment and how these things work together um, so we're not looking at them separately is a, is a, is something that we're figuring out right now about how to yeah. do well. And we've got some really powerful teachers leading in that space as yeah. well. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I can't tell you how many times and maybe not said with these exact words, but absolutely what the intent was. And I've heard this from kids over and over again, you know, that that kids can do just about anything if the adults will just get out of the way. Right. And I think that that translates back to the adults as well. Right. That adults can do just about anything if you will get out of your own way. Right. And so um, absolutely, um, you know, really, really powerful sort of uh, words and, and thinking that's happening in the Chicago public schools. So, um, Heather, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your day sh- to share your journey with us and the work that you're doing. And thank you for that, because it's 
It's really, really unique. And I'm going to ask Heather to send us uh, the circular graph she made reference to and any other links, and we will make sure that we post those um, with the show um, yeah. as well. So, yeah, we're always you. happy to share any of our tools with anyone that's interested. So definitely. That's more. fabulous. Yeah. Uh, we'll make sure you have the ability to contact Heather if you are so inclined, and I hope that folks will. So thank yeah. you again for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. This was a lot of fun and uh, excited that you're showcasing ideas and topics around student voice. It's, it's really needed. So thank you so much for your leadership in that area too. Oh, absolutely. Super important. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.